Good evening. I have uh, been treated with a lot of questions. <laughs> Question, uh, first I try to uh, answer questions uh, dealing with uh, meditation and there are many other questions uh, related to some other areas. Uh, I think our primary goal is uh, meditation practice, therefore let me start with them, uh, with answering those questions. <coughs> First question is, uh, are, are there potential pro problems when uh, practicing mindfulness while uh, simultaneously engaged in intensive psychotherapy? We don't see any potential danger uh, in practicing meditation, uh, provided you do uh, correct uh, mindfulness meditation, there's no any danger at all. Uh, I, I even know some uh, psychotherapists uh, who, have, uh, who are running clinics in the United States uh, and his uh, uh, approach uh, uh, in uh, treating uh, patients is combination his treatment with uh, meditation and therefore it has uh, uh, very uh, positive results produced pr pr positive results therefore uh, I don't think there's any danger in it. Another question, beginning, middle and end, pause, uh, in-breathing, in-breath, some same for out-breath, four elements, in the breath. You say, notice it, don't name, don't label, don't conceptualize. How this, is it, uh, is it noticed? How this is noticed? What, what part uh, uh, of me does uh, the noticing. In fact, uh, the same part that you used for labeling, now you replace with uh, not labeling. Whatever part you use to label, uh, you uh, use that part not to label. Meaning, pay attention, let the mind become aware of what is happening. 
when you label, you deliberately, uh, intentionally uh, create something in your mind. I suggest don't do that. Let the mind become aware of what is happening. You know, in the, in real sense, although you say, I labor, I talk, I pay attention, we use the word I, 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 conventionally, there is no I that does all this. The mind does all this. And we, for convenience sake, conventionally we use I do this, I do that, and so forth. For instance, when feeling arises, mind immediately becomes aware of the feeling. We cannot say, I make the feeling available. So for convenience sake, we use these terms. So, uh, instead of saying, I notice, let notice be done by the mind, without labeling. It, it, it becomes, uh, now it doesn't make any sense. When I say this, it doesn't make any sense. But when you let it happen, then it makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, it is a question of training. Like anything else, when you train the mind, uh, the mind will notice things as they happen. With effort, when all the sense doors are closed, I find it easy to uh, achieve one-pointed concentration. The moment open the doors, the concentration becomes much less. Some say to leave all the doors, door, uh, sense doors open all the time and welcome these friends. I would like to know your views on this, uh, on this place. <coughs> I said, uh, uh, Vipassana is a very special way of seeing. What is special in it? We see without using our eyes. If you want to see in this special way, close your eyes. When you close your eyes, you see better. When you open your eyes, your seeing is very superficial. 
only the surface you can see. When you close your eyes, you experience what is going on. It doesn't mean that you blind yourself or plug your ears or plug your nose and uh, seal your mouth and so forth. It simply means be uh, guard your senses. I think it would be easier with our ears and eyes we get a lot of images, information into our mind. And therefore, if we, when two uh, sense doors bring a lot of information, uh, then when we close one, only information comes through only one door. Nose, um, we don't always, when we meditate, we don't always use our nose, uh, also no, don't use our mouth. Uh, so there will be less distraction if we close our eyes. Uh, if we open our eyes, distractions are more. For this reason, we suggest uh, people to close their eyes. But how can they close their ears, nose and tongue and body? You cannot close them. <coughs> but when you close our eyes, at least to some extent we can reduce the amount of information we get into our mind through the eyes. Uh, to some extent it helps us. Uh, a Buddha said that you bring all the senses in, inwardly. Uh, he gave a very beautiful simile in Sangyutta Nikaya saying Kummova Angani Sake Kapale Manodang Samodang Bhikkhu Mano Vitake Abhibhuya Sabbani Parishavani Anapetrino Sabbadukham Pahaya Just like a tortoise pulls all its withdraws all its limbs that are extended outside. Uh, it says five limbs, but actually there are six. Four legs, the head and the tail all are out when the tortoise walks. When tortoise sees a fox approaching, he withdraws everything in so that he feels secure and safe. Similarly, when so many uh, sensory stimuli uh, are bombarding our senses, if we guard our senses, then gaining concentration would be easy. Uh, if we are very mindful and guard our senses, concentration will be easy. In order to make it little easier, we close our eyes. 
However, if somebody leaves eyes half open, focusing on the floor few feet away, without taking too many objects through the eyes into the mind, that also would help. So, you can welcome, you can welcome any objects coming through your, your senses if you are going to practice mindfulness as I mentioned this afternoon. But if you are going to gain concentration, it is better to close your eyes and reduce the amount of sensory stimuli you will have. So, uh, depend, it, it depends on what you are practicing. You can welcome your friends through the senses if you are practicing mindfulness. And they are no longer friends if you practice concentration. <coughs> Another question, uh, two questions uh, about following the breath. Beginning, middle and end. Do you follow the breath through the body, nose, chest, uh, belly, or keep the attention on one place? Uh, according to what I have read in uh, uh, text, especially Anapanasati Sutta uh, commentary, we are supposed to keep the mind on one point. The nose is considered to be the uh, door, gate, for the breath to enter and exit. There is a simile given in that uh, discourse, not the discourse, in the commentary, that is um, like a disabled person uh, watching or babysitting. A disabled person cannot uh, turn his head one side to the other, from one side to the other side. The person's neck is almost stiff. So the person keeps the neck, eyes straight in front and somebody puts the baby in a swing and when the baby comes right in front of him, he taps, the swing goes to this side, and then it comes to the front, he taps again, baby goes to this side, swing goes to this side. So all he keeps his eyes focused on is the swing that comes in front of him. That is one simile. The other simile is the gatekeeper. Gatekeeper's job is to notice persons getting in and coming out. The person doesn't follow the visitor all the way inside or all the way out. Simply keep an eye on the gate. Uh, these two simile tells us where to keep the mind. That is right here at the entrance of the breath and exit of the breath. Don't follow all the way to the navel and all the way after the breath left the nostrils. <coughs> and the reason why I strongly recommend that is 
It is easy to gain concentration when you focus the mind only on one point. It is here, that at the tip of the uh, nose or nostrils, where uh, inhaling and exhaling breath eventually joins. When both join, uh, there will be one continuous feeling of breath. Whether it is inhaling or exhaling, you will have one single uh, feeling of single breath. For this reason, these uh, ancient teachers have recommended that place to keep the mind focused. When I do this, uh, do this practice, it uh, tends to make the breathing longer or and deeper. Is it better to keep the breath uh, breath uh, Yeah? I said I think it was unchanged. Unchanged. Yeah, unchanged. Mm-hmm. <coughs> you sometimes notice breath long, sometimes short. It happens naturally. When it happens that way, simply be aware of it. Don't deliberately make it long or short. And that is what the uh, the discourse itself, the text itself says. Dīghaṅva asasanto dīghaṅ asasāmiti pajānāti dīghaṅva pasasanto dīghaṅ pasasāmiti pajānāti rasaṅva asasanto rasaṅ asasāmiti pajānāti rasaṅva pasasanto rasaṅ pasasāmiti pajānāti That means when the breathing is long. The mindful meditator knows that the breath is long. If the breath is short, meditator knows that it is short. It doesn't say the meditator should make the breath long or short deliberately. Next question, why differentiate between uh, internal and external mind, body, uh, or feelings, when all are just mindful, uh, meaning uh, all are just uh, manifestation. Manifestation? Yeah. Okay, manifestation of the formless uh, arising of the formless arising mm-hmm. uh, it is eventually uh, eventually we notice just arising and passing away of uh, this phenomena, feeling, consciousness, and so forth. 
sometimes when there are no any external uh, uh, stimuli uh, we experience things happening only internally inside so occasionally if something we notice externally we have to notice its rising and falling in order to uh, encompass the entire practice encompass all these things bring all these things into entire practice the buddha himself made this distinction meaning if he used uh, 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 option or optional uh, uh, preposition say uh, ajyatang va by the the va means or it is not uh, mandatory it is optional if something happens internally we become mindful of it if something happens externally we become mindful of it we don't deliberately make the separation if we experience something separately it is perfectly all right we notice the separation if somehow we notice only rising and falling of everything without any distinction between external and internal that also is perfectly open but if you notice something uh, distinctive from one another then it is uh, it should be noticed as it is meditation eyes open closed or half closed i may i answered that question already uh some people prefer meditating eyes open because they fall asleep other people don't fall asleep they keep eyes closed so these are not very hard and fast uh, rules uh let me use my second eyes <laughs> first pair of eyes pair not enough okay events are observed as they happen in the present but in order to become in order to become uh, aware of uh, events arising and passing away mustn't one not use present awareness and memory <coughs> which means not only present but also past events and uh, comparing present and past events actually even the past events occur in the present for instance you remember something that happened in the past that memory occurs now so uh, you all you do is 
you become aware of this memory of the past event. That uh, memory happens now, uh, you cannot think of the memory of the memory of the past. Memory happens now, and therefore what we are noticing is what is happening now. When we say we pay attention to what is happening now, we mean even the memory of the past to be included. And therefore, uh, it's very, the instructions are very precise. Uh, I would not um, try to uh, uh, make the past event, uh, the memory that is happening, memory of the past, uh, push into the past uh, from the present. If you remember uh, eating very delicious piece of cake ten years ago, <laughs> that memory occurs now. So you become aware of the fact that you are remembering something that happened that you ate ten years ago. Uh, however, the danger is that you keep uh, tracing back to the event surrounding eating cake. Thereby you will bring a lot of information and uh, get caught and carried away with uh, uh, events and go uh, to the past. That I think would, uh, should be avoided. What is the difference between doing metta and uh, hoping or praying that the situation uh, will get better? Ah. You know, this also is a good question. Uh, what is the difference? You see, what is the difference between uh, doing metta and hoping or praying that situation will get better. <coughs> uh, even if we hope and pray for situation to get better, we do that prayer or hoping with metta. Especially when situation is very bad, very painful, very uh, lot of suffering, uh, so uh, we don't want uh, that kind of pain and suffering uh, to go on. Uh, so we simply wish or pray, if you wish, uh, and practice metta to reduce it. Now, by doing so, it will not stop. For instance, uh, there is a war somewhere going on. We keep sitting here, praying, meditating, sending metta to the victims and uh, uh, soldiers 
in the war, war zone, and soldiers are not going to uh, make the bullet not kill the person. And the victims are going to die. Uh, we cannot stop that. But we can stop our getting upset, getting angry uh, because of that situation. Uh, we, we see how unjust it is, how much these people are suffering, why these people inflict pain, suffering upon these people, how nice, how good, how wonderful if the leaders do not make a decision like this to kill people and we feel very uh, sad, sorry for the living beings and our heart, we make our heart melt and uh, relax, uh, filled with uh, compassion. So at least we can uh, uh, think of some ways to help these people in our very small ways. For instance, uh, when we know while practicing metta or praying, uh, if we can uh, uh, help uh, them by uh, providing food, medicine, clothes, shelter, in even in a war zone, that would initiate with our metta practice. We first have to develop within ourselves sympathy, metta, love, friendship, friendliness within our heart to help those people. But what other people do, we cannot stop that. But we can stop our getting upset, angry, hating, and then think positively, how can we help these people? What should we do? Many compassionate people, people who practice metta, get together and do lot of good things to help those people. That is how we become positive uh, and metta practice become effective. Not simply sitting in one place and praying or wishing, but that is the that is that is the beginning. That is the initial initial stage to do something verbally and physically to help those people. How can I stop verbalizing uh, mentally when I meditate? <coughs> I think mental verbalizing is a habit. Uh, even if we observe uh, silence, uh, inwardly we talk. Uh, that is a very powerful habit. Uh, that is why if we start uh, forming a new habit, uh, not to verbalize, then eventually inner verbalizing will stop. Friends, none of these things is going to happen instantly. The things we suggest will take a very long time to take roots in our mind to become effective. We just make suggestions and uh, for you to start doing it. 
Never expect any miracles all of a sudden. At the end of the whole retreat, this retreat, your thinking will completely stop. You attain full enlightenment. This is not going to happen. <laughs> but we got to think how slowly, gradually uh, we stop mental verbalizing. That begins with the focusing mind on our at least our breathing and paying attention to it without verbalizing. Start with something very simple and that very simple thing eventually builds up gradually uh, and adds up to our total uh, success. Uh, it is possible. We do that. I do that. Therefore, Buddha said to us, because I never ask you to do anything that you cannot do. So we trust the Buddha. He asks us to do something which is effective from his own experience. He has done it. He found it effective, possible, humanly. And therefore, if we do it very systematically, slowly, we can do that. I simply say, yes, you can do it. Who is mindful? Uh, if you ask the Buddha this question, Buddha said, question is irrelevant. But since I am not the Buddha, I try to answer. <laughs> Why it is irrelevant? If you say, who is mindful, you assume a being behind mindfulness. There is no a being, particular being, behind our mindfulness. The mind itself trains itself to be mindful. And behind that there is no person. Uh, this is a very tricky uh, answer, tricky because the question is also a tricky question. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that is the that is the reality. <coughs> is the purpose of meditation to understand the mind or to change the mind, or are they both the same thing? Uh, the purpose of meditation, I mentioned a fivefold purpose. And <coughs> purpose number one is to purify the mind, purification of mind. Purpose number two, to overcome sorrow and lamentation. Purpose number three is to overcome pain and suffering suffering and disappointment. Purpose number five is to follow the direct path, as I mentioned this afternoon. Purpose number five is to attain liberation. There are five purposes. So, the purpose of meditation is to uh, understand included in this fivefold purpose. Uh, 
understand the mind is one of the four foundations of mindfulness that is mindfulness of the mind uh, to change the mind uh, when we purify the mind we change we don't say we change the mind we change its habit when we practice meditation we change a mental habit we cannot change the mind mind changes itself naturally but mind have we have built up lot of habit into our mind and those habits we will change and this is uh, uh, what the buddha called kusala sila the word sila means habit um, it is not uh, popularly uh, used uh, the word uh, sila is not used uh, everywhere for habit but there's one sutta called samana mandika sutta in madhyamika samana mandika sutta in that sutta buddha used the word sila as a habit so kusala sila akusala sila so we meditate to overcome akusala sila unwholesome habit and cultivate kusala sila or wholesome habit in uh, pottapada sutta in dighanikaya he has given the whole uh, steps entire steps of how one kind of mental state eliminates by cultivating another kind of mental state that also is the way of training the mind to overcome certain unwholesome habits and cultivate wholesome habits what can i next question what can i do when pain distracts me from my objects of meditation actually when uh, pain arises use the pain as an object of meditation it's uh, you may think that it distracts you but uh, it really can be used as an object of meditation as we see in uh, satipatthana or four foundations of mindfulness one of them is feeling mindfulness of feeling feeling includes pain so pain should be used as an object of meditation for instance when pain arises <coughs> pay total attention to pain it's not very easy because uh, when pain arises you get dis- you get you get uh, uh, very distracted and uh, uh, agitated uh, mind becomes restless and irritated and so forth uh, you may be twisting turning and uh, uh, struggling and so forth but if you remain quiet calm relaxed and try to pay attention to that particular pain isolate the pain isolate the place where the pain arises and keep isolating itself is a very good uh, practice 
isolating the pain and then focus the mind on pain. There may be sometimes uh, one pain on the head, one pain on the back, one pain on your knees. Uh, isolate the most, uh, the, the isolate the strongest one. You don't have to isolate it. Why? The mind naturally goes to the strongest one. And then focus mind on the strongest one and those less strong pain will disappear. That is how you isolate one pain. And then pay attention to that. You know, train yourself. Just try that. Experiment it. And you see, this pain it may be increasing as you pay attention to it. It keeps increasing, increasing, increasing and at the same time you became, become more and more impatient. And watch this. Watch how impatient you become, how pain increases. Watch it. If you have uh, sufficient awareness, mindfulness, you increase your patience to watch the pain more closely. As the patient increases, pain decreases. It will not happen very quickly. It takes, uh, suppose you experience pain at uh, after 15 minutes and if you keep paying attention to it, you may notice pain increasing. Increasing, increasing up to a certain, up to maybe until about another 10 minutes. And then it comes to such an excruciating point that uh, you think uh, you have to amputate your leg. <laughs> you think your circulation is completely cut off and uh, you will not uh, be able to walk again. You have to use the crutches and so forth. When you come to that level, <laughs> that kind of pain, if you can stay for another two minutes, you will see that pain immediately begin to break. You got to go to the very most unbearable point. And then pain slowly comes down like a mercury in the thermometer. Come down. And then you will see, you will be, and when you come to the highest point, you will perspire, you will be very, very painful. And then when it comes down, and it vanishes, disappears. You know, I've been meditating for many, 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 many years. I know this. Therefore, <laughs> I can talk from my experience, but how many people have that much patience, uh, that much uh, commitment, determination, discipline? Not too many people have that. Therefore, if the pain is increasing, you may change your posture. <laughs> 
and uh, uh, readjust the posture. Uh, this is, you know, very uh, uh, simple suggestion, but the good one is, the better one is to bear it up and stay with it. Then what happens, you know, next time when you sit, you will not have pain in 15 minutes. Next time you will have pain in 30 minutes. <laughs> you will be able to increase your sitting for another 10 minutes. And 30 minutes you will have pain and do the same uh, tactic to overcome it and you can extend your time up to one hour without any pain. Okay. Uh, if the uh, is the wily mind servant. Okay. If so, who is the master? Is the wily mind a servant? If so, who is the master? Master is the mind. Manopubhangama dhamma, manosetha manomaya. Mind is the master, mind is the maker, mind is the creator. So, the master is the mind. Mind will never become a slave unless you make it. Uh, but the mind is always the master, the leader, creator. So, oh, whether it is uh, uh, wild or not. Uh, you talked about making progress in meditation yesterday. Sometimes uh, uh, <coughs> you can see uh, whether or not you make progress by uh, uh, say you uh, when you sit your meditation concentration is good uh, when you get out of meditation in daily activities uh, at first your concentration will not be very good but if you constantly practice meditation even after meditation, your concentration will be, will be better. You improve it and you can see that. Now, uh, I don't know how often you meditate and how often you make the comparison. If you meditate very often and compare your uh, concentration during meditation and after meditation, you will see the difference. Uh, during meditation, sitting meditation, uh, you learn to be patient. When you get out of meditation, you will not be very patient. But if you constantly practice meditation, even your patience will increase. Provided you do, do you do right meditation. If you do wrong meditation, no matter how long you sit on the cushion, you, your patience will not increase. Somebody may sit uh, 
on cushion for ten years in a cave. When he comes out, uh, the very first time somebody steps on his toes, he will punch in his nose. <laughs> he gets angry. <laughs> because those ten years he spent in, his, in the cave, he was doing something wrong kind of meditation, just focusing mind on the breath. Focusing mind on the breath all the time alone is not meditation. It is just wasting the time. While focusing your mind on the breath, you have to look at the mind and look at what is happening in your mind. Uh, if uh, you don't take care of your mind during your meditation, uh, it's not going to make any difference. And therefore, uh, if you do right kind of meditation and come out of that, your meditation will definitely have some impact on your daily life. And of course that you have to see. Uh, for instance, you are uh, irritable very quickly. If you meditate every day, and you will see how less irritable you will be afterward. That's how you know that you are making progress. Uh, in the sometimes when you when you meditate, you your heart becomes very soft and gentle. You see, uh, uh, you develop compassion. At first, you may, it may you may not see much difference when you come out of meditation and keep meditating very often. One day you will see how soft, how gentle, how kind you are. This is the way to see the difference, the progress. Uh, it is, you know, Buddha said that he gave a very beautiful simile. Suppose a carpenter uh, take a, a, take a, a tool, and the handle of the tool is soft and hard at the beginning looks very smooth. After many years of use, he used this soft, very, very hard-looking, or hard, uh, smooth-looking, uh, big handle has been turned into a small handle. Because over a period of uh, many years, he has been using it, and it is worn out. Similarly, Buddha said, no matter how short a period you meditate, if you do it every single day, certain amount of defilement slowly be worn out, disappear, and you will see the progress. Of course, it will not happen very quickly. Also, I find uh, uh, sitting, sitting meditation in a group or at the uh, retreat much easier than sitting about sitting uh, alone at home. At home, my meditation is not uh, of uh, deep, and I find it difficult to sit even for forty-five minutes while 
at uh, retreat i could find i could i could uh, sit for hours uh, without too much uh, difficulty why is that <coughs> uh, i think that also is very practical question when you are at home uh, you uh, you are a responsible person you have lot of commitments uh, you have to make telephone calls telephone is available you get up and make a call uh, you expect a call somebody calls and you have to answer the phone and uh, you remember to write a letter you get up and go and write the letter uh, you remember to do some grocery shopping you make a list in your mind while sitting so you write the grocery list and uh, you remember ma- making telephone calls you keep uh, you know listing the names of people who I'm go- whom you are going to call so many things are around you familiar familiar things that you have been doing every day and therefore home environment sometimes is distracting to practice meditation when you come to a retreat you leave all this behind even if you want to make a call you don't have a cell phone you are not close by no pen and pen, paper is available to write anything uh, not visitors no grocery shopping no not so many things somebody is cooking your breakfast your lunch your dinner room is very neat uh, light is there nobody you are not paying bills somebody goes <laughs> so many everything is taken care of you are totally free secondly when you see sit with people you see everybody is very seriously meditating although you don't know what is going on in their mind <laughs> you think they all are meditating <laughs> at least you try to pretend to meditate <laughs> so that becomes eventually easy for you to meditate and if you are you know fidgety getting up moving here and there you know that this you, you disturb the neighbors and so you don't you try not to disturb anybody so every the whole environment in uh, retreat situation is conducive to your practicing uh, at home it is difficult therefore it is no surprise that you can meditate in the retreat and moreover group psychology is very powerful uh, and also you want to compete he sits uh, 20 minutes i want to sit 30 minutes <laughs> So I so sit one hour. I want to sit two hours. Let us see who can attain enlightenment first. <laughs> <laughs> That kind of, you know, <laughs> mentality also can work. <laughs> so so many things have helped us to practice Bhante, please explain uh, 
explain uh, stages, stages for dealing with uh, sleepiness. Ah, 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 during meditation. Okay. Uh, there are various things you can do uh, to overcome sleepiness during meditation. One thing, visualize very bright light and focus your mind on that visualized light. Shaka, uh, if, if that doesn't work, you may uh, take a deep breath and hold it as long as you can and slowly breathe out. When you do it several times, you, your body warms up, you even perspire, your sleepiness disappears. If that doesn't work, you may stand up and do standing meditation without disturbing anybody, just stand up and meditate. Perhaps while standing you may fall asleep, so uh, you are afraid of falling upon somebody, <laughs> you, are, you become very mindful and stand up. If you are going to fall over somebody, then immediately sit down and uh, pinch your earlobes with uh, index finger and thumb, not with uh, nails, but with the fleshy part you press hard enough to wake you up. If that doesn't work, you slowly get up and wash your face with cold water. If that doesn't work, you do walking meditation. If none of these things work, go and have a nap. <laughs> Come back and meditate. At least one of them will help you to overcome your sleepiness. How can I overcome my doubt that I am meditating right and that I am even capable, capable of meditating correctly? <coughs> you know, definitely doubt can arise when you meditate, uh, especially with regard to your practice, whether you are doing it right or wrong. Uh, that is why uh, when we explain, uh, when we give instructions on meditation, you got to pay very close attention and remember instructions. <coughs> uh, you know, sometimes when you give instruction, meditation instruction in the morning uh, at uh, 9, 9.30, that's a very good time to listen to our instruction. Some people listen so carefully that they don't hear anything. <laughs> they fall asleep. Because this combines with uh, metta meditation. I speak very softly and slowly so that they can uh, uh, focus their mind on these words and uh, uh, initiate their practice. In order to help them, I speak softly, slowly. And that sometimes, unfortunately, lulls people to sleep. 
and that is why when I finish instruction, they don't remember anything. <laughs> Therefore, that is the time people should pay very close attention to understand the instruction. Uh, then they don't 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 go wrong. <coughs> if they go wrong, if they think that they go wrong, and find out where they went wrong, what is the mistake they made? Uh, where they have doubt and all these things they must uh, uh, identify, find out and let the meditation instructor know, uh, me or meditation teacher. Uh, then we can uh, help the person to uh, do it correctly. <coughs> Uh, otherwise, we don't know how to help uh, people who have doubts and uh, uh, go wrong. How do I deal with those uh, two hindrances which arise, uh, which arise today? One is ill will, other is doubt in my ability to meditate. These two uh, caused great mental agitation during meditation, and I don't know how to overcome them. <coughs> okay, now doubt uh, you can overcome uh, by um, at least trusting the instruction, trusting the Buddha. If you have doubt about your own practice, your own uh, ability, then uh, uh, you uh, take few minutes to uh, uh, breathe very slowly, uh, without any distraction, without uh, letting mind wander here and there. When you breathe slowly, uh, paying total attention, trying to pay attention to one thing very uh, closely will help you to gain some degree of concentration. That helps you to understand that you have the ability to gain concentration. That way, uh, the doubt about your own practice can slowly minimize. So if you constantly, through constant practice, we can overcome the doubt about our own ability. You all can meditate. Uh, but if you say, I cannot do it, you cannot do it. <clears throat> Therefore, you have to trust yourself and uh, keep practicing doing it uh, properly, uh, you can find that you can do it. The other part of the question is ill will. <coughs> Maybe one of these days I can give a talk on ill, how to overcome ill will, but for now I must say, uh, when ill will arises, uh, the first thing you should do is try to isolate ill will without 
at bringing the object of ill will. For example, you are angry, anger arises, anger arises uh, due to some conversation, uh, you are angry uh, with somebody, uh, some situation, uh, perhaps during meditation here in a group, <coughs> somebody may be uh, making noise, uh, moving, uh, doing something that you don't approve, uh, it disturbs your mind, uh, things like that. When something like this happens, when an anger arises in you, uh, don't pay attention to that person, that event, that situation, that memory and so forth. Simply try to isolate your anger. Isolate anger and use the anger as an object. This is exactly what Buddha said in uh, Dhamma and Pasunayana. Uh, Satipatthana Sutta, Mindfulness of Meditation Discourse, he said, <coughs> uh, he used the word Vyapada, when Vyapada or anger arises, simply become aware of the ill will, that anger. And then see the impact of anger on your mind. You will not see your mind is calm, relaxed and peaceful, you will experience pain, agitation, uh, maybe heartbeat, increasing heartbeat and pressure in your lungs and the mind is so restless, uh, so forth, a lot of uh, negative mental states and physical states arise. Be mindful of it, pay attention to it, and see what the anger has done to your mind and body. Now you are completely away from the out other object, the cause of anger, completely away. And now you are completely focusing your mind on what impact the anger has caused on you, what sort of impact is there, and focus your mind. And then, Breathe very slowly, take several slow breaths. So that as you breathe slowly, the mind will gradually stay with the breath. And those other things, uh, pain of anger, impact of anger, uh, and so forth, will be replaced by your attention on breath. <coughs> and then you will see your body becomes calm, mind becomes calm, that agitation, excitement, anger has subsided. And then with that relaxed state, try to practice metta. When agitation or anger is in its full force, don't try to practice metta. 
let anger subside and make you feel relatively peaceful, relaxed, and then start practicing metta. When you follow these steps in this way for a few minutes, you will see, you know, you will laugh at yourself, you will say, say to yourself, how ridiculous, how silly I have been. I got angry for nothing. <clears throat> if you train the mind that way, you will see it really works. And eventually, tiny little, little things will not irritate you. There are many more questions. Do you think uh, contemporary teachings don't emphasize the uh, cultivating jhana factors enough? Don't the jhana need the dedicated practice to cultivate them? <coughs> oh yes, uh, contemporary meditators, uh, meditation teachers, instructors don't emphasize uh, the practice of jhana enough uh, because for a long time, especially in the West, uh, meditation teachers have been um, oversighted. Uh, the importance of uh, concentration or jhana meditation. They were talking always about uh, mindfulness, insight, and sometimes some people even say, don't practice concentration, that is, that's going to make you a vegetable. <laughs> it's almost like a taboo. Uh, don't do that. That kind of uh, wrong instructions and fear and so forth uh, uh, has, has made people uh, sort of uh, discouraged or dissuaded from uh, practice. You are right, it is not uh, sufficiently emphasized. <coughs> what are the uh, prerequisites for jhana? being such a lofty state, are they difficult to attain? Actually, uh, uh, difficult in a sense that you need a <coughs> quiet place, good posture, uh, patience and discipline. If you have that, uh, you can attain it. Uh, it is, uh, for some people it is very easy. They naturally have a tendency to gaining concentration. Uh, some people find it very difficult. That depends on the individual. Uh, surely it is a very lofty state of uh, meditation. Uh, There are a lot of things to say about uh, jhana, but our time is very short, and uh, I must say it is not uh, impossible, but uh, somewhat difficult. <coughs> uh, can you please say some more about the jhanas? 
how are they experienced and uh, uh, recognized? Uh, you experience jhana and you recognize that you are in jhana only when uh, all the hindrances are suppressed and uh, wholesome mental uh, qualities are unified, uh, consolidated, uh, and they all work together in unison. Uh, mind is uh, very extremely peaceful uh, without any disturbances. Uh, then you recognize that you are in jhana. Uh, there are mental factors like uh, I have said to get into this because it's a very long subject, very very profound subject. Uh, three, I, I have written three books on this topic and one more is coming up. <coughs> so it's a very powerful, uh, deep, very profound uh, subject. When you attend the first jhana, for instance, Uh, three of the uh, Noble Eightfold Path factors uh, are quite conspicuous, clear. <coughs> that is the right thought. Right thought is thought of renunciation, thought of loving friendliness and thought of compassion. These are called right thoughts. In Jnanic uh, terminology they use the word uh, vitakka. Uh, it has been translated into English initial application of thought which means nothing. It, com it, it, it really confuses people. Therefore, that uh, translation, I don't uh, uh, agree with that. And some people say discursive thought, even that is not correct. <coughs> because when you attain the first jhana, thoughts are not discursive. Thoughts are very wonderful, wholesome thoughts. The thought that arises in the first jhana is the thought of renunciation. Renunciation does not mean that you are going to leave everything, your home, your family, your activities and so forth. Renunciation simply means the thought of generosity. Thought of generosity means you, the mind does not cling to uh, objects. That mental state arises when you attend the first jhana. That means you just don't care for any clinging. No matter how pleasant, how beautiful it is, you just notice it, accept it, and let it be so. <coughs> then, out of that arises very deep, profound, powerful 
thought of friendliness. You really feel so relaxed, so calm, you can embrace a crocodile. <laughs> I mean, you feel that way. Uh, that means everybody is your friend. You feel that way. That's the second thought. The third is thought of compassion. Uh, all this bundle together and call initial thought in English, which I don't agree with, in Pali it is called Vitakka. Vitakka. It is called in Pali Nekham Vitakka, Avyapad Vitakka, Avingsa Vitakka. That is one of the thoughts that arises. There are 36 kind of thoughts arise in the first chance. Uh, if I were to list all of them, it will be, you, you, you think uh, that I am crazy or you are crazy. <laughs> or you may think it doesn't make any sense. Because we are talking about concentration, how can there be any thought in the concentration? Well, when we understand what concentration really means, I said it is the unification or consolidation of all wholesome mental factors. These 36 mental factors are all wholesome and they all come together. <coughs> and then you have joy, happiness, concentration, uh, and uh, what is called sustained thoughts, initial thoughts, sustained thoughts, joy, happiness, concentration, these five mental factors work together again as a team against uh, five hindrances like uh, greed, hatred, uh, sleepiness and drowsiness, restlessness and worry and doubt. So, these hindrances work as a team separately and jhanic uh, factors work as a team separately. Now, these two terms are in a tug of war, <coughs> uh, assuming that two teams are competing with each other. <coughs> so, one team is one team is trying to hold the mind in peaceful state, other team is trying to attack this peaceful state. So you are juggling with these two mental states. And finally, you maintain the peace balance without letting the negative team attacking the mind. That level uh, of uh, attainment or concentration or jhana is strong enough for you to develop deep insight, mindfulness. So friends, that is how, that's what I should say in brief, but there are many more questions which I don't think I can answer them now. Perhaps on uh, 
Tuesday. If you don't uh, write too many other questions, uh, I try to answer this. These are not actually meditation. Ah, okay. He reminded me one important area of discussion or answering questions. That is the precepts. Eight lifetime precepts. Okay. I have very little. Uh, I have very little. White clothing. White clothing with me. Uh, can I still take the ceremony? Uh, what is uh, off-white clothing? Uh, well, you know what is off-white. Uh, actually, if uh, if you have not come with a pure white clothes, um, off-white is all right. Just uh, close to white. Uh, even if you don't have it, it's still all right. But don't uh, stop taking the precept purely because you don't have white cloth. If you want to take, go ahead and take it. <coughs> Next question. I would uh, I would like to take the precept, but regularly enjoying a glass of wine. <laughs> or beer in the evening. Uh, within recommended limits. <laughs> I do not at present intend to give this up. <laughs> Should I participate in uh, in the ceremony? <clears throat> well, uh, you wait until you are ready. <clears throat> Don't uh, rush yourself. One day you will decide. Uh, to take it. Another question, I would like to take precept, but I uh, know what I would uh, break some of them. Uh, for example, lying. <coughs> uh, as I am uh, uh, caught up in, <coughs> in uh, existing a life which I will not be able to stop for a while yet. Do I take precepts or wait until I have got myself out of lying situation? Hmm. Now, uh, some people think that they cannot observe the precept, but once they took it, 
they take it very seriously and they make the commitment well i took the precept and now i don't want to break it so they uh, they try to discipline now one thing uh, these are what we call training rules you know during training period we don't expect people to be perfect this is a training period during the training period you stumble or something uh, make mistakes and repair and retake and so forth uh so if you like to give a try you may try it and then you may think well uh i took the precept when you take the precept you know you think twice before you uh commit something uh that you don't like to commit then uh, you retake you determine uh, to make the commitment so you when you go on doing for a while then you will one day decide where it is ridiculous that i uh, break this precept and take it again it is not all for my own benefit i take the precept not to please anybody and therefore let me observe it you may decide it. so that kind of uh, uh <coughs> thing also can happen if you take it but i don't force anybody if you like uh, you take it if you don't like you don't take it one of the eight uh, lifetime precepts is to uh, to abstain from uh, uh, sensual misconduct please can you explain what is what misconduct of seeing hearing smelling tasting and touching are <coughs> all right misconduct or sin i would say not misconduct abusing abusing eyes abusing nose abusing ears abusing tongue abusing body abusing body everybody understand is uh, a sexual misconduct uh, abusing eyes is uh, say for example uh, Uh, you watch tv and you keep watching uh, watching watching all kind of trash and rubbish <laughs> and waste lot of time eventually you gain nothing except uh, destroying your eyes wasting your time and energy uh, that is one way of abusing our eyes abusing our nose as i mentioned the other day uh, uh like uh, 
uh, children sniffing uh, uh, paint thinners, uh, magic markers, uh, things like that to get high. Uh, going after all kind of things to please the north. Uh, sometimes uh, when people use certain kind of perfume, that would uh, affect our uh, nose. So we try to minimize those things. And uh, uh, smelling, hearing also is the same as, uh, I remember somebody <coughs> telling me, this may not happen to everybody. Some people know how to abuse their ears. Uh, one day I was on a, in a car, somebody was playing, uh, somebody turned on radio and there was a talk show and somebody said he would never turn off this radio. He wants to listen to news. He wants to know what is going on in the world every second, every moment. Friends, how much one can hear? How much news? Does this person have any time to sleep, <laughs> to rest? And what is the use? Most of the news you, we hear <coughs> are examples of greed, hatred and delusion. Most of the news are examples of greed, hatred and delusion. So we simply waste our uh, energy uh, by the hearing. So this is, we don't, we try to um, abstain from that. Uh, as I said, we abuse our tongue by saying wrong things. Uh, actually four of them we have listed in the uh, eight lifetime precepts, and also eating wrong, unhealthy food, uh, which can make us uh, very sick. Uh, in these two ways we can uh, abuse our tongue, uh, and these are the things that we try to avoid <coughs> by taking the precepts. Another question, I should like to take the eight lifetime precepts in the uh, isolation of a, a retreat. Uh, this seems possible. However, I know that uh, realistically in the, uh, in the uh, first place, uh, and demands of my demands of uh, uh, modern society and uh, uh, stress and uh, exhaustion of work uh, despite the best of in, in intentions uh, lapses may occur. Is it 
uh, enough to intend to uh, live by this moral code, or would it be dishonest to fill the uh, form knowing uh, one's own uh, limitations? <coughs> okay, would it be dishonest to fill one's own limitations? Uh, actually, uh, if somebody knows one's own limitation, uh, we all have limitation. Uh, we try to uh, do as much as we can. Uh, we cannot be totally perfect. Even if you take the precepts, you will not overnight be perfect. 